If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. We were, uh, we were big fans of the show Lost. I don't know how many Lost fans uh, there are here. Lost actually came on before the days of streaming television. I know that seems like a long time ago. I guess it was. In fact, I remember, actually, because uh, I, I came late to the show Lost, I had to, I had to catch up. And in that day, you couldn't catch up by, by going to the Internet. I had to go to Movie Gallery and rent the DVDs. So if that sounds unfamiliar, we actually used to have stores full of movies, like a library. And you would go and pick one out, and you'd bring it home, and then you'd take it back. Crazy, right? And in those ancient days, known as the early 2000s, if you were watching a television show, you actually had to wait a whole week for a new one to come out. And then, even more traumatizing is the fact that when one season came to an end, you had to wait months for a new season, right? Uh, so like weeks together without new episodes that you had to wait for a new season to come out. So that was us with the TV show Lost. Lost was one of those shows that like it always, it always hooked you. It always ended with a cliffhanger. There were always unanswered questions. They didn't answer them very satisfactorily, in my opinion, by the end, but that's, you know, different. Um, but, right, usually at the end of a season, they are ending with some big question, and you've basically got weeks and weeks to talk about, you know, what's going to happen next? What do you think they're going to do? Where are they going to go with this, right? There was always this sense of anticipation awaiting the next season. And I know that's how you guys typically feel about church week in, week out, right? Oh, man, I just can't wait. Um, well, we're about to enter a new season in the book of Acts. And unlike Lost, we actually know where this is going. Uh, we're not lost, right, when it comes to the book of Acts, because Jesus tells us where things are going. He begins everything in Jerusalem, where he pours out his Holy Spirit on his people so that they will be his witnesses. So it starts in Jerusalem and then season two, it moves into uh, Judea and Samaria. And then we're moving towards season three now, which is those witnesses going to the end of the earth, uh, or at least the end of the earth in those days, uh, the known world, the Roman Empire. And so today, we're going to be introduced uh, to one of the main churches that was responsible for sending witnesses to the end of the earth, and that is uh, the church in Antioch. Uh, so we're going to read Acts eleven nineteen through 30. And then, uh, and you'll see why when we read it, we're going to jump down to 12.25 and read through 13.3. So let's give our attention to God's word. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. 
And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined... Everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now skip down to chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, May he use it to nourish and feed our hearts and equip us for his service. Amen. Uh, Just a a quick reminder of why we're going through this book. Uh, And really the reason we're going through this book is because we always need reminding. Right? Our, Our heads and our hearts are filled with so many voices, uh, so many demands, so many ideas about uh, who we are and, and what we should be, so many calls about how we should be spending our time and our resources. And so it's, it's good to come back to and listen to the truth and be reminded about uh, what God says about us, about who we are, about what we should be about uh, and so that's my hope and prayer as we walk through this book of Acts, that we would be reminded of our family history and that we would be inspired by the Spirit to walk the same road that they walked, that we would rediscover our identity and our purpose, and that as we watch them following Jesus in their time and place, that we would ask what that means for us to follow Jesus in our time and place. Because uh, there are a few non-negotiable truths. Uh, humanity is the same today as it was in the first century. Uh, maybe different cultural, exp- maybe things look differently, and I know we're kind of in a moment of panic, uh, but the world of the first century was just as diverse just as multi, multicultural, there were, there were several different gods that people worshipped, especially in a place like Antioch. And it was in that moment, it was in that first century that the church really exploded. And I wonder often if what we're really lamenting is not the loss of Christianity as we know it, but the loss of the bubble that we've been living in. Now, Christianity does not flourish in a bubble. Um, 
And then the other truth, another truth, is that God has not changed. Uh, that his calling on the church is still the same. Uh, and, and God places us each in place and time. He puts us in a geography and he puts us in a time. Um, and so as we watch them follow Jesus, what does that mean for us to follow Jesus? And there are just a, a few things, a few marks of the Spirit's work in the church in Antioch that I want to draw out for us uh, and hopefully uh, apply to us. And the first thing I want us to notice about the Spirit's work at Antioch is their boldness. Uh, I want to say thank God for unnamed evangelists. That you see there that these Jews are spreading out from Jerusalem because of the persecution there. They're going back home uh, to where they had come from. Uh, And as they're going out, they are taking the good news of Jesus with them. And initially, they're sharing it with other Jews in the synagogues, right? Uh, They're telling them what's happened with Jesus. So they're speaking the word to Jews, but then there are some, and we don't even know their names. But then there are some who make the bold move of taking Jesus to their Greek-speaking Gentile neighbors, they, 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 take the, they make the bold move of crossing that ethnic barrier, of crossing that line that is so difficult to cross. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the reason, if, if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, uh, you are here because of some unnamed, faceless individuals uh, whom history will not remember, you are here because of their faithful boldness. Because several people, countless people, uh, down through the millennia, have shared Jesus with their family and friends and neighbors. And that has cascaded down to you this morning. You are sitting here because of people whom history will never know, whom you may not even know. But rest assured, God knows them. They are not faceless and nameless to God. He remembers every single one of them. Because thousands, dare I say millions, have taken a bold step. We uh, are here. We have believed in Jesus. Antioch was a large city. It was a multi-ethnic city. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Uh, it, was a, it was a big commercial city. It was a hub. Things coming from the east being transported out to the west. And so there were many different ethnicities and nationalities and religions mingling in Antioch. And so then it really makes sense that the next phase of the mission began here in this multicultural, diverse city. Antioch is a very religious city. Temples and shrines would have dotted its landscape. And it's into that void, into that environment that these believers come. Um, And you notice they, I wonder if their reasoning was something like this. Remember, these are Jewish people, uh, very comfortable in the Gentile world, but Jewish people. But they would have said, you know what? Jesus is Lord, not just of the Jews, but of every person and every nation. And that alone, we've talked about before, would have been a radical thought. That there was one God who ruled everything. That would have been a radical thought. It would have been even more radical for them to say, and Jesus is that God. 
And he is Lord, not just of us, but of everyone. And he is returning one day to judge, not just us, but everyone. And that would mean that Jesus' salvation is available not just to us, but to everyone. And with that rationale, they said, you know what? Let's take this outside the synagogues. Let's go talk to our neighbors, our Greek neighbors and our Greek co-workers. Let's tell them about this Lord and Savior, Jesus. F.F. Bruce uh, comments on this passage on the religious nature of Antioch. He says, many were trying to find in various mystery cults a divine Lord who could guarantee salvation and immortality to his devotees. And is that not what religion is? Is it not the seeking for something or someone who will grant us immortality and salvation? And so it's into that need that these bold, unnamed evangelists speak. Right? They, they, they go to their neighbors. Uh, and so what might that look like for you? What might that look like in your context, on your street, and in your neighborhood? What would it look like for you to trust God and step into a relationship, maybe with someone very different from you, and tell them the good news? Not a one-off deal, but actually developing a relationship and having several conversations. And we notice in verse 21, it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed, turn to the Lord. God nudges them out, and then he blesses their efforts. The hand of the Lord was with them, and many believed. Uh, May God nudge us into that same boldness. And if you're wondering what that would look like for you, at the end of December, we're going to stream a missions conference called CrossCon. And you can come to that. It's a a conference for students, um, but it would be, it's applicable to all. Uh, and we can give you more information about that. Uh, that'll be at the end of December. But may God, may God nudge us into that same boldness. May we remember and thank God for all of the unnamed individuals uh, in generations past who have brought us to this point. And may we be committed to doing the same. Boldness. Uh, what you also see uh, in this church is gladness. Uh, And here again, Barnabas reenters the story. Uh, And I love the way that Luke describes Barnabas here. Verse 22. The report of this, so this, this, uh, this is all happening in Antioch, several hundred miles away from Jerusalem. The report makes it back to the mother church in Jerusalem, and they say, well, we need to go check this out. We need to make sure that everything is, is legit, everything is right. And so they send uh, Barnabas. We've talked about Barnabas before, uh, but Barnabas was a Greek-speaking Jew. So he was Jewish in ethnicity, but he was from the island of Cyprus. So he would have been very comfortable in the Gentile context. So they send Barnabas to go check out what's going on in Antioch. And I love the way it describes what happens when Barnabas arrives. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. What makes you glad? What is, it, what is it that makes you happy? 
Barnabas arrives in Antioch, and he sees God's grace at work. He sees men and women and boys and girls coming to know the Lord Jesus, and he rejoices. It makes him glad to see God at work. What about you? What is, what is your vision of the ultimate good? If you want to know what would make you happy, if you want to know what it is that makes you glad, just ask that question. What is your vision of the ultimate good? What is the good? When you think of your own life and the lives of your family, your children, what, are your, what, is, what is the way that you invest your time and money? How does that reveal what it is your heart is set on? How does that reveal what you consider to be the good? For Barnabas, the good is seeing God's grace at work. And I want, I want the heart of Barnabas. I want our church to be full of Barnabases who are glad uh, to see God at work. How does that happen? Well, Luke tells us uh, that as Barnabas stayed there to encourage the believers, uh, it says in verse 24, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. We're not told anything about Barnabas' gifts. Luke doesn't tell us what he's good at. doesn't tell us what his talents are. He tells us about his character. He says he was a good man. And why was he a good man? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. And that gives me great encouragement. Because Barnabas does not have anything that you and I don't have. Barnabas didn't have access to something special that you and I don't have access to. That the reason Barnabas was glad to see God at work is because he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And so the application is simple. Pray that God would fill you with the Spirit like Barnabas. That you would desire to be full of the Spirit. Ask for the faith of Barnabas. That you might have the character of Barnabas. Boldness, gladness, humility. Something else that Barnabas shows us. Barnabas, after many people are added to the faith, Barnabas realizes that this is not a work he can do alone. And so Barnabas goes and he sends for Saul. Or actually, he doesn't go. He, he goes to find Saul. Now, it's been about seven or eight years that Saul has been in Tarsus. Seven or eight years have passed since we first met uh, Saul, uh, who, will, who will come to know as Paul. Uh, and it was Barnabas who first stuck his neck out for Saul in Jerusalem. Remember, uh, Saul was a, a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church, and he was converted. But when he came back to Jerusalem, and you really can't blame him, when he sought to gain access to the church in Jerusalem, the leaders there were like, uh-uh. No, that, that was the guy who oversaw the stoning of Stephen. We still remember that. I'm not sure this guy is safe. And it was Barnabas who said, no, no, he's genuine. Let him in. And then because he was under threat uh, from the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, he was sent up to, to Tarsus. So now Barnabas goes to get him. 
and bring him back. Because Barnabas realizes he doesn't have all the gifts. He doesn't. He's, he is not capable of continuing the work in Antioch by himself. And so Barnabas says, who would be a good fit for this? Saul. Let me go find Saul. And he goes and gets him. And they come back to the church and they teach for a year. But this is where humility comes in. Is Barnabas will now begin to fade into the background. Uh, Barnabas will will really disappear from the pages of Acts, and, and Saul or Paul will come to the forefront. Paul will become the hero, and, and Barnabas will fade uh, away. Just like, the, uh, just like John the Baptist, who said of Jesus, uh, he must become greater, I must become less. And so that's exactly what uh, Barnabas does. He doesn't need the spotlight. Right? Uh, when we talked about this in our staff meeting, we go through these passages on Monday during our staff meetings. And when we went through this part, uh, our ad- office administrator, Angela, said, Oh, so Barnabas is Whitney Houston's background singer. Right? Important, but not the, but not the star of the show. May we be content to be Whitney Houston's backup singer. We don't need the spotlight. Just glad to see God at work. Glad to see someone, glad to see Jesus get the glory. Uh, so there's humility. Uh, then we also see that one of the, the next mark of the Spirit we see in this church is continued growth in the Word. Uh, that Barnabas and Saul, for the whole year, continued teaching these new converts. Right? And, and what we can learn from this is that discipleship doesn't stop at conversion. Uh, As uh, Dennis Johnson says, another commentator, he says, the gospel is not just a port of entry to be passed through and left behind as we grow into maturity. The gospel is not something that we just pass through and then leave behind as we grow to maturity. Rather, Christian maturity involves the working out of that gospel in our thought and behavior with more and more consistency. That's what Saul and Barnabas were doing for that year. These people had come to believe. They were excited about God's work in their lives. But they recognized that, the, that continued growth must happen in the Word. That they continued to teach them. They continued to show them what it meant that this gospel that had saved them. How to work that out in their thought and behavior more and more consistently. Now, a word uh, for us, uh, particularly as a Presbyterian church, uh, one, of the, one of the things that can be said of us, and this may be uh, your story, is that typically we allow someone else to do the converting, uh, and, then they come, and, then they, and then they come here for, like, theological training, right? So get saved somewhere else, and then come here for maturity, right? Uh, and... We do have an intellectual bent. It's kind of how we roll. And it's not a bad thing that, right, we ha- that, that theology gets buttoned up. We're pro-good theology. We're pro-doctrine. We're, we're there, okay? But, to the, but, but it's, it's a shame that uh, that is true of us, uh, that we don't really do converting here. We just, we just train you up. So let me, let me say this as a, as a word of caution. Um, information does not equal transformation. 
I remember talking with a brother who would eventually become an elder here, and he's since moved on. But uh, I remember him telling me uh, that he would, they would come here on Sunday mornings when they first uh, came to church. Or they would come here on Sunday mornings, and then they would go to church. Uh, up in, he would take his family to church up in Birmingham. Uh, and as he said, uh, because, I don't know, man, the sermons are just, just deeper. Now, I don't think I was the pastor at the time, so I may not have taken that as personally as I would have, uh, you know, before. But some, for some reason, I had the, uh, the presence of mind not to, you know, deck him, but to say, tell me what you mean by that. And he went on, as he went on to explain it, he, was, he said, well, they're preaching through Jonah. And, and last Sunday, he was giving us all this great information about Nineveh. Right? Okay, so what? Right? Information doesn't equal transformation. Just because we can accumulate lots of information, if that never works itself out in our lives, then we may not actually be maturing. If we have all the head knowledge, but it's not affecting the way that we think and the way that we live, then we're not actually maturing. And so as we commit ourselves to growth in the Word, we're looking for that kind of maturity. Uh, if, you get a, if you can get an advanced degree, fantastic. Um, but what we want is for that information, and it's important, we like context, we like background information, you know, we're pro-reading, okay? But that needs to issue into some kind of life change, all right? So continued growth in the Word. And then uh, another mark is unity shown in generosity, So as all this is happening in Antioch, some prophets come down from Jerusalem, and one of them, named Agabus, stands up in the meeting of the church and says, a famine is coming. A famine is coming in uh, across the the Roman Empire. Uh, And the the believers uh, in... There's two things I want you to notice about how the believers in Antioch respond. Now remember, they're Gentiles. They're not Jewish, most of them, okay? Okay. But as soon as they hear that a famine is coming, then they ask themselves, okay, God has given us this message. What do we need to do about it? It says uh, in verse uh, 29 of chapter 11, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers. And you can read that as brothers and sisters. It's a family term to the brothers and sisters living in Judea. Notice how these non-Jewish Christians talk about the Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem. What do they call them? Brothers. They acknowledge that even though they've never met these people, even though they don't share a heritage with people, they don't even share an ethnicity with these people, that they are their brothers, that they are family, and that they are in need. So they are united. There is unity there. And what do you do When family is in need, you help. And that's what these these Gentile Christians in Antioch realize. Hey, we've benefited from the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. We've received the truth from them. Maybe we can give them a gift to help them through this difficult time. Right? Food scarcity was really common in the first century. 
Famines were normal, right? We didn't have refrigeration. We didn't have shipping, all of those things, right? We didn't have fertilizer. All of the great technology we have now that increases our food security didn't exist in the first century. So this was a real need, and it probably would have been a real need in Antioch. But what they do is they say, you know what? That's our family. And so they gather together. They say everybody according to his ability, right? So each person according to his ability... And you heard me ask that question to uh, Rick and Phyllis earlier, right? One of the promises we make when we join the church is to support the worship and work of the church to the best of our ability. So these people, according to their ability, are generous with their family in Jerusalem, even though they've never met them. Now, I want to compare that. You may, uh, some of you, half of you maybe remember Y2K? Right in the panic that uh, ensued over that. Um, and, of course, everybody remembers the panic of early 2020. Right? What is, uh, what is our response to crisis? I'm not, not calling any names, uh, but your response to crisis may have been hoarding. Right? Well, I've got to make sure I get mine. I've got to make sure we're taken care of. Notice, notice how differently these believers respond to a crisis, a crisis that could easily have impacted them, right? They may have been looking at the, the, the serious possibility that they wouldn't have enough food on their tables. And they say, let's get, let's get something together and let's send it to Jerusalem. And they do, right? So a mark of the Spirit's work, unity shown in generosity. And then, finally, uh, they were sensitive to the Spirit. They were sensitive to the Spirit, uh, there were the, the the church at Antioch was loaded with leaders, right? They had um, we see there in chapter thirteen. You got Barnabas, you got Simeon, you got Lucius, you got Manaen, you got Saul, right? These prophets and teachers, these gifted leaders, and what do they do? They're listening to the Spirit, and the Spirit says, "Hey, I need you to set apart Barnabas and Saul." I need you to set apart two of your most gifted leaders for the work that I have for them. You're not going to keep them here. I've got to send them out. Now, you can imagine they were like, whoa, no, man, these guys have been here since the beginning. They're pillars. Like, we need them. But they were sensitive to the Spirit. How? It tells us that they were, it's as they were serving and worshiping, and they were fasting. They were fasting and praying they were listening to God. And look, we don't, know, we don't know the circumstances. We don't know the details. Did they do this on a weekly basis? Was this a special season of fasting and prayer? Did Saul and Barnabas have some kind of inkling that God was sending them elsewhere, but they wanted the church, they, they wanted the church to be on board? We don't know. But we do know this, that, that they fasted and prayed. So here's a really simple application you want to be sensitive to the Spirit, fast and pray. Now, I know we don't fast. I know we call it breakfast, but I mean, when I ate ice cream at 10 o'clock last night, is it really much of a fast? Right? Did I have to break much? Right? I realize fasting is something that is not common to our context. Uh, so, but, but fasting is going without experiencing uh, the, the, the pain of that need so that you can listen to God, right? Going without one of God's good gifts 
depriving yourself so that you have the uh, heightened ability to listen to and pray to God. All right? So here's, here's your homework for the month of October. Pick one day and fast. Fast. And whenever you feel that little hunger pang or that big hunger pang in your stomach, pray. And maybe even it's just asking God, God, what do you want? What, what do you want of my life? What do you want me to be? How are you directing me? How are you directing our family? Maybe your family is, is facing a moment of crisis. Maybe there's something going on that you're having to face as a family. Why don't you fast as a family? Pick one day and say, hey, today we're going to fast and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God. We're going we're to seek God's face in this. And if fasting from food would be detrimental to your health, because that's true of some of us, uh, then fast from something else. Uh, I would recommend that you fast from social media every Sunday, right? Take a Sabbath uh, to kind of clear the deck and get those other voices out of there and just rest. But maybe that's what you fast from, is media consumption. But what I want you to do for the month of October is pick one day, and I want you to fast and pray. Go home today and put it on the calendar uh, and block it off and it'll happen. Right? Um, so they were sensitive to the Spirit. Now, what is it that powers all of this? What, what, where is all of this coming from? Well, did you notice what they began to be called? The word Christian is only used three times in the whole Bible. And it's never used by anybody who is a Christian. It's used by those outside the church. Right? The Christians don't call themselves Christian. They're called that by their neighbors. They're called that by the other people who live around them. Why? Well, it means uh, when, uh, when somebody was called a name like this, it means you belonged to a person. So the Herodians were those who belonged to and followed Herod. Well, what's happening in Antioch is these people are so taken up with their new identity in Christ that they're actually gaining a reputation from their neighbors. They're being called those who belong to Christ. They are making so much of Jesus in their lives that they come to be identified by Jesus' name. May we be known as the people uh, who are identified by Jesus' name. May God, by his grace, lead us to make much of Jesus so that we gain a reputation from those around us. Let's pray.